0: this is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two fantastic human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Kara Shamborsky. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm really excited that you're both here because we're going to be talking about our Goodreads pick of the month, Rat Queens, Volume 1. But before we get into that, let's actually talk about how you've been and how have comic books been. Let's start with you, Kara.
1: I'm great. I mean... I'm exhausted because I spent most of today working out because I'm a boss like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it just, like, turned out that all my workouts were today. And, like, usually I think of myself as, like, total couch-bound nerd reading comics, watching TV, reading books, etc. So. This is like a new moment in my life where I'm like excited to go to the gym. Like I've never thought of myself as an athlete. And yet here I am being like, I crushed the workout today, guys.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. Well, how have comic books been for you then? Otherwise, since you're not on the couch, how have you been reading your comic books?
1: (laughs) Um, I've been going through lots of backlist because I went through a phase last year where I got a lot of graphic novels and longer form comics that I haven't gotten around to reading yet. So I've been working through those slowly.
0: Okay. Okay. What's been at the top of your list?
1: Well, I'll get into it a little bit more when I tell you what I read this week, but I have been making my way through Oh Joy Sex Toy Volume 2.
0: Oh, Okay. <laughs> Um,
1: we'll get back please, to that you know in a little bit.
0: Let's just let's just get into that right now. Actually, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you
2: know, why? 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 Let's just uh, dispense with the pleasantries here and uh, yeah. <laughs> no foreplay, <poor> right? <laughs> just straight to it. Oh my goodness! I guess yeah. <laughs> I read comic books. Uh, has now been upgraded to NC yeah. seventeen. <laughs> anyway, sorry, those thirteen-year-olds at the comic book shop that I said, yeah, just just listen. There's a few swear words, but you've you've heard those before on on the school bus, right, <laughs> <laughs> fellow youths? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about to get real, kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh Joy Sex Toy is a web comic that deals with sex toy reviews, but also has really well-researched, well, uh, well-narrated well um, comics about, like, sexual health and sexual experiences. And the whole, like, zone of this webcomic is, like, really sex-positive and about, like... It's fun, but it's also, like, teaching you stuff about sex that, like you maybe wouldn't find in reputable places elsewhere. Like they have a whole like mini series about like safe anal sex, which is like, they talk about it in a very, not like a clinical way, but like, they're not saying like, Oh, we're going to talk about sex now, kids. It's like very (laughs) mature adult, but it's like still fun. Like they have these two characters called like the anal sex snails And these two snails just like pop up whenever they're going to talk about anal sex. And they have like tips on how like you and your partner can both be like safe and like comfortable and how to communicate with one another. And it's all like very like mature. Like here's like we're going to talk about sex and we're not going to talk about it in like a titillating way or in a way that makes it seem unapproachable. Like, their whole ethos is that sex is fun and, like, should be fun and should be between consenting adults and, like, let's talk about it from there. And it's, like, a actually really good source for lots of information ap- across, like, a broad swath of sexual topics. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was just reading volume two because they did a Kickstarter to publish. Um, they have two volumes now, both of which were kickstarted. So there's, like, print copies and PDF copies out there for people who don't want to just, like, sit there clicking through a webcomic page after page. And so, like, one of the comics in Volume 2 that I was just reading that I thought was really interesting was about uh, strippers and, like, strip club etiquette. Oh. So they went into this. They spoke to, like, a lot of the creators is, is a husband and wife duo. And they went to some strip clubs in Portland where they know... Um, some of the dancers just like from their work and they like interviewed them about like if someone's going to a strip club like how should they behave what should they be expected to tip and like things like that that are like really practical but since it's coming from the perspective of the dancers you're getting this like I I thought it was like a weird thing because I realized I've not actually heard a lot of perspective from exotic dancers because normally that's just not something like if you're watching a movie and there's a scene about a strip club in the movie you're usually not seeing that scene from the perspective of the dancers and who they are and what's important to them and what their relationships are like within that sphere you're mostly seeing it from like the male protagonist perspective who's just like walked in and like the girls are like background decoration for whatever scene is supposed to be happening right so it's like unusual to get the perspective of the people who are actually dancing so like this one comic in particular really struck me because you know these women were just talking about like yeah you know here's what to expect for if you're doing a lap dance here's what here's what you should be doing like when you're sitting in front of the stage and it's basically like common sense don't be a creep advice but also it's presented in like this really fun comic book way so it's like entertaining to read but also you're actually learning stuff that's like valuable for your experience as an adult human being in sexual situations so i really enjoy it and i highly recommend it for anyone who just likes comics and likes sex which i think is a lot of people
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently now I know that the film Showgirls is not an accurate portrayal of things, and so I guess I'm just going to have to go pick this up now. I mean, uh, I'm pretty certain the dummies, they're not going to roll out a dummies guide to strip club etiquette anytime soon, so uh, I suppose this is probably going to be the next best thing.
0: I, I think this is actually really interesting that something like this exists. I think that, you know, in the U.S., we don't do a lot. Is we don't do as much education in comics as we probably could, and I think that's this is a very unique subject to try to tackle in comic book form. So I'm I'm really curious. I'm gonna have to look this up. I didn't know that this existed. So thank you for bringing this to my attention, Kara. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it's great. And like they have so when they're like showing when and they do like demonstrate through the comic book medium how like certain sex toys or sex accessories like should be used and the cast of characters that um the creative team have developed for that are like all different ages genders like body types so it's like Mm -hmm. a really inclusive space and they actually have a lot of comics like about sexuality and about different gender identities um, as well as just basic things like how to communicate with your partner. So it's like gotcha. it's like a huge range of topics, but it's all very interesting and presented, as I said, in an entertaining and inclusive way.
0: That's awesome. Wow, okay, I will have to look that up. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, how have you been? How have comic books been? I, I know that you were struggling with some, with some sales stuff last Ugh. night that I may or may not have encouraged, oh, so God. I'm sorry for that.
2: <laughs> no, um... Yeah that was weird I uh, I was like you know what I was hanging out with my friend Jordan He's like you can just borrow my copy of Rat Queens But like when I take notes I'm a lefty so if it's someone else's book Like I generally don't like to take notes With my own book Because then you're lefty and you smear ink on pages And just that's just one of the many Perils of being a left handed person uh, So I just downloaded the digital one And then on Comixology They're like hey uh, volume 3 is on sale And I'm like wow that's a great deal What about volume 2 They're like no that's not on sale But we know that you're going to want volume 3 So what are you going to do And I'm like sobbing And I'm like pay you more money And Comicsology's like you're goddamn right you are uh, <laughs> And then I was like hey but I've got that coupon From last week like 30% off $15 or more They're like you're still giving us a lot of money Don't try to like you know you know you're you're negotiating with yourself at this point nick honestly this is self deception yeah. self deception yeah. is what's going on here but uh of course there's another whole comicsology uh disaster which I'll talk about right now i uh, i i don't know <laughs> if if i should be following the discussion of ojoy oh sex toy with my t- uh discussion of the book the massive but it's just how <laughs> things happen and oh that wasn't the plan. You can see it's first on the list. I uh, just maybe should have uh, changed the order. You know, I I think that's what they call guilt by association. Sure, um, sure. You're
1: fine. Keep going.
2: <laughs> but I read The Massive 1 through 6. And, uh, you know, this is a book that goes on the list. And I guess if you had a Goodreads label, it would be a list of books that have been quietly and politely and persistently suggested to me by other people Which then get ignored. (laughs) And Mike has pushed this book real hard. Xander's pushed this book real hard. Um, And it was on sale. And I I love a lot of Brian Wood's other stuff. Uh, So I finally got around to reading it. Um, One interesting thing that I did notice is that um, Gary Brown frequently gets um, linked to all of the artwork for this book. But Christian Donaldson actually drew half of the first arc. And he drew all of the art for the eight-page vignettes that appeared in Dark Horse Presents. So, you know, give credit where credit is due. Um, I really like this book because it's sort of a post-apocalyptic yarn that's rooted in real-world possibilities, a.k.a., you know, bringing science back to science fiction. Uh, But it also tries to not get caught up in the whole, you know, yo, dog, nature's trying to kill you like crazy, you know, a la 2012 or The Happening. Or, uh, yeah, or um, uh, Day After Tomorrow, the list goes oh, okay. on. Just list list yeah. all your Roland Emmerich movies where nature is desperately attempting to end mankind. Um, and it's much more about how humans react after this happens. So for those who don't know, The Massive is about the crew of sort of this, uh, it's kind of PC esque sort of um, sea shepherd, like anti-whaling environmental activist group. Uh, And they're out on the open seas, and then, of course, all of this global warming and the, you know, all of the other things that complicate and exacerbate global warming happen, and so there's some of the few people that are left in a world that's now largely... You know, submerged and, and barely functioning, and Wood attempts to really create a real like a on, on a obviously on a global scale an idea of what that would do to real world markets, to religion, to economy, to the black market. Um, but it's engaging, and you care a lot about these characters that come from a bunch of different backgrounds. And Gary Brown is a fantastic artist. Um, I just love that Wood does all of this research but then slowly spoon feeds it to you. You have a lot of writers that are like, look at all this research I did. I did a lot of research. I was on Wikipedia a ton <laughs> and here's all of it. And you're like, how many more pages of this? This is a book. This is not, this is not comic books. This is a literal book. Um, but he doesn't do that. And yet he also realizes that he has to tell a story, you know? So I read that uh, on the same note. I read more Brian Wood. I read uh, alien defiance volume, uh, sorry issue seven yes i'm behind it's on like 10 right now but there's 12 issues and i'm just trying to process the fact that at issue 12 this book is going to end um uh, in this issue brian wood decides to go with one of the more beloved alien tropes which is at some point someone's going to get an alien in their stomach and at some point they're going to (laughs) attempt to do a little bit of diy surgery to remove it with mixed results with mixed results as always um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thankfully, this person is actually a doctor, but what's more interesting is they're like, so you know, we, we can kill this thing, I think and then the doctor's like, well, we need to actually figure out how to kill them more efficiently so I want us to remove it and then we need to find a way of keeping it alive so oh, things boy. get massively complicated in that regard, and uh, it's very interesting, uh, this book is really great, I don't think it's getting enough credit um, I think a lot of people don't really see Dark Horse as maybe the more um, natural venue for a book that actually uh, circulates around a protagonist that is um, an African American war veteran with who's you know who's been injured and who suffers PTSD uh, and yet is attempting to sort of you know um, deal with those injuries both mental and physical and and attempt to. Um, I guess make the most of it As trite as that sounds But uh, it's it's a fantastic book That's just not getting a lot of attention um, Briefly I guess one or two other things I got in a Darwin Cook You know dark place Where I was like oh man I miss Darwin So I went and read Jonah Hex 50 Double sized issue All interior pencils by Darwin Cook Fantastic book y- You don't get full Darwin interiors that frequently You know so it's a rare thing And when it happens you gotta jump on it So uh It's really great, it's typical Jonah Hex dark humor. Um, It's actually a very serious issue involving Tallulah Black, his sort of on-again, off-again love interest, attempting to go straight, so to speak, and realizing that you can never really go home again when it comes to things like that. Uh, But otherwise, it involves Jonah Hex going on a huge bounty hunt, which Darwin Cook handles completely. Palmiati and Gray just let him do the work, and you see all these panels of him Grabbing all these bounties. One's like a minister about to perform a wedding. Like another one is this guy that gets dragged through a huge cactus patch. Uh, My personal favorite is him sitting in a lawn chair waiting outside of an old wooden outhouse as the guy peeks his head out. And uh, Jonah Hex has a lit cannon about two feet away (laughs) from the outhouse. So uh, (laughs) it's really twisted. um, And I loved it. Uh, Just one other thing. I read more Stormwatch. Because it's Warren Ellis, uh, and I'm trying to understand him. Because when he's DC, I feel he's vaguely understandable. <laughs> and of course, in the middle no. of a mid '90s DC big two book, he's quoting Sh- Shintoism mm. texts at you. Uh, I shouldn't be surprised. Issue one was him quoting, Zus spoke Zarathustra." So what do you want? It's Warren Ellis. He's he's going to bring the culture to the you know masses, whether you want it or not. So that's, that's a what lot. I read. Can I respond to
1: some of your points?
0: <laughs>
2: please, please. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I mean, no, feel no, free no. to jump I did, in whenever. I, you were don't, on a roll. don't hesitate.
1: I didn't want <laughs> to break it up. So I haven't read all of The Massive, but I read the first few issues in French. And oh. it. so I have a question about the language, because um, with the French translation, the book seemed like, like, quietly sinister, but also had like kind of a philosophical angle and i was wondering if you got that from the english version too um
2: i don't know about sinister but definitely philosophical because it was sort of a question of what sort of values and what sort of ideals can you upkeep like once post-apocalyptic happens because you know in most books it's like well it's the apocalypse i might as well get around to that checklist of the nine or eight things you know that freud says subconsciously i wanted (laughs) to get around to if i could um and of course this is more about like can we actually try to still save the environment and and can we actually try to uphold a nonviolent um mentality so yeah i i would definitely say the philosophical bent is totally there and it's interesting because of that i mean they you know try to compromise or question that whole nonviolence bent a lot so mm-hmm. Um, but I opted for that in english um i think I think you'd understand
0: <laughs> yeah i think there there's a there's a strong push throughout the whole book about how do how do you live in a world where there are no laws for the most part and or at least there are law if there are laws they're very very region specific like micro mm-hmm. region specific so Callum yeah. Israel as a character is very pacifist like his whole thing is pacifism for a reason and we don't know what that reason is until very well near the background. end of the book yeah. yeah well he has a background but you find out you, you, they go more in depth in it later in the book mm, um, but okay. his his extreme pacifism and he's like I don't want guns on my ship I don't want guns around me we never use weapons as a means it comes for... from a deep place yeah it comes from a deep place yeah. it's really interesting to see how he approaches that in this world where in like Nick said when the apocalypse happens and we're trying to survive it afterwards like everyone just goes lawless and they find the first weapon that they can so it's that that whole book I mean there's so much I could say about this book I think we'll have to do a whole episode about the massive or a minisode or something Nick maybe when you finish that you and I can sit down to do a minisode about it
2: Minnesota about the massive. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. I, li- I like the sounds of that.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. You mentioned Darwin Cook and I just got like this wave of emotion because yeah. his work is so good. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I first, um, I first saw it in The New Frontier that yeah. DC did um, and it was just stunning and retro and the art style worked so well for like a throwback Justice League tale. But actually my favorite thing that... I've seen him do is he did a Catwoman story, yeah. called Oh, the mini series, Selena's yeah. big score, yeah, yeah, and and she like basically wasn't even in costume for the whole thing. It was just kind of like almost like a character study of who she is and where she's been and how she's evolved as a character through her trying to do this this heist with some old friends, and I. It it's still today like one of my favorite comic stories ever and very easily one of the influences for cutting all my hair off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I I guess I'll have to read that. I mean, much like most comicsology things, I have it. <laughs> I haven't <Yeah>. read it. <laughs> same, same here. Yeah. I read some really interesting things that um some interviews with Cook about um all of the costume design that went into that book, all of the fashion design. Um and about how a lot of creators following Cook have said, like, gee, I wish we could go back to some of his designs for Catwoman. So maybe I need to read that now.
1: Yeah, it just, he, he just did a, a lot to show how, you know, Selena's this sophisticated, uh, confident, sensual woman, but she wasn't necessarily always that way. Like, she didn't mm-hmm. emerge from the womb as Catwoman, she had to like build herself up to <laughs> what
2: that. What a relief.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, Cool. Well, for me this week, I sat down and read just a bunch of single issues. I read Archie number 18, because I can't get enough of this book, and I can't quit it. And this is the first issue where I kind of actually genuinely felt bad for Archie, because this issue... <laughs> I, it I know took much, this long. It took this long. Like, I mean, because <laughs> up until this point, he's kind of just been, you know, Archie being a doofus, and there were some very choice moments where they showed him being a doofus like he was banned from being an uber driver because somehow he got a tree or he got a car stuck up in a tree like (laughs) like things like that Um, but in this issue, Veronica Lodge is back in Riverdale and things maybe aren't going so well for Veronica and Archie, even though they've desperately missed each other. So this issue kind of, I was like, oh, and this is partially to blame the Riverdale series, that TV show. It's, it's breaking my heart, like left and right. I don't know. Is this what
2: Archie comic books
0: are?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> I know a lot of people that read read it and watch the show are starting to take sides for for better or for worse. I mm. I fell off Archie just because I wasn't pulling it, but just getting it when the shop had it. So I probably yeah. should get back on that. But I know people are starting to compare the two a lot, or or no. uh, prefer one over the other. Well, In that's fact, inevitable for any yeah. adaptation.
0: Yeah. yeah, I I gave up on that after you know the first 10 minutes of the Riverdale series i realized this was a totally different thing just oh, yeah. like just like afterlife with archie is a totally different thing just like mm-hmm. the chilling adventures of sabrina is a totally different thing i'm willing to like separate those out because there's no way you can even try to compare them and not get upset about everything so that's i mean archie I comics
1: has like always done these kind of alternate universe stories where it's like a one shot or a mini-series, and as soon as it's over, it's, like, back to Riverdale as usual. Like, there was <laughs> that time that they were, like, capitalizing on the whole Twilight phenomenon, and, like, Twilight vampires were in Riverdale. Um, oh, my like, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen I've there's, seen
2: pictures of this, yeah.
1: There's the truly excellent um, Archie versus Predator from last yeah. year that that Alex <laughs> yes, DeCampi wrote, and it's like phenomenal. Um, yeah. There's the infamous Archie meets the Punisher from a couple decades yep. ago. Yep, yep. Like they've always done stuff like this. So Riverdale's just like a more public, well-known version of this. This pretty formulaic approach, actually.
2: Yeah, I think it's getting yeah. its own comic too. So at least people can sort of. Uh, hope that one doesn't start influencing the other or or vice versa you know
0: yeah i i think they did a one shot that may continue but i'll i'll have to look into that more uh okay. otherwise i did read curse words number three this book continues to be just a weirdo weirdo wizard book and i'm fine with that this issue there was a very beautiful moment with the movie titanic i will not spoil it but it is <laughs> what? it is wonderful <laughs> It is just wonderful. If you're not reading Curse Words and you want to have a good time in comic books, Curse Words is the book that you should pick up. Um, I read Kinski number, numbers one through six. I read the whole Kinski miniseries, which is a book written and drawn by Gabriel Hardman. And this man is a fantastic comic book individual. This book is so weird because it's a slice of life kind of a, a man shows up in this other city. He sees a dog. He decides he loves this dog and he must have this dog, um, and then he finds out that the dog belongs to another family. But he still wants the dog, so he steals the dog. He meets the woman who owned the dog, and he kind of feels bad. He's like, "But no, I'm gonna give you the dog back." But it turns out the woman's boyfriend doesn't want the dog. It's, it's like it. It sounds like a ridiculous, weird story, and it kind of is. But by the end of this book, like your heart is breaking over just this this dog and this man who's thrown away his life over this dog. And I'm like, is this how people feel about pets? And then I look over at my two cats and I go, <laughs> yep, that's exactly what <laughs> I would do. <laughs> so, I, I don't know how to describe this book really well without really giving it all away, but it's just what happens when you see something and it just changes, like how, how do you react when something changes your life in an instant? And it's it's not like a car crash, it's not like the death of someone, it's not like you, you know, anything horrible. It's just, you see something and you go, I have to change everything about who I am and what I want to do in life. And that's how this series is. So it's six issues. It's published, I don't know, independently, I think Image reprinted the trade. And yeah, it's a bizarro, cool little, like beautifully drawn comic book. I mean, Gabriel Hardman's art is super top notch and always has been. If you read Invisible Republic, you will know that I am absolutely right. Or if you even just look at the covers of the book Invisible Republic right now, it's oh, top notch. Amazing stuff. Um, I also read Extraordinary X-Men number 20, which is kind of the end of the current era of X-Men books, I think. Jeff Lemire's final issue was a uh, culmination to sum up of everything that he had done in the book in a weird way, but nothing happened, but I think that was the point. Maybe he's just giving the big God. middle finger to Marvel, saying, like, it doesn't matter, nothing changes. And the X-Men played baseball on this issue, so that's that's all Aww. that I care about.
2: Well, he's out the door, man. So, yeah, he's, uh,
0: he's wrapping up everything that he's doing at Marvel right now, so um, I'm okay with this ending, this being the end of his run. Uh, I felt like it took about 10 or 12 issues for me to warm up to him, and then eight issues later he was done, and three of those issues were uh, tie-ins to an event. So it's kind of a Yay. bummer to see this being... <laughs> the end of things but that's what I read this week so let's move on and talk about things that we're excited for this upcoming week comic books come out on March 29th 2017 what are you both excited for Nick we'll start with you
2: well as much as I like to enforce the uh you can only pick one book rule and then also uh, break it. I'm, I'm going to break it. <laughs> uh, I, either way, it goes to Matt Kent. So, I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter. No, no one's feelings are going to get hurt. Uh, Matt wins either way. Uh, Matt, if you're listening, uh, thank you. Uh, you're not. Uh, so, Ninjak 25 is one of them. I think this is the best Ninjak arc. We've had four or five at this point. Uh, this is the... Um, what is it called the seven blades of master dark something like that uh, and it has the shadow seven which are basically this group of six baddies that ninjak's been hunting for a pretty long time being brought together and led slash joined by ninjak uh minor spoilers right here If you're wondering if I'm bad at math, I'm not. He is the seventh member of the Shadow Seven. That's why there's seven. He just didn't know because I think his memory was wiped. I don't remember, guys. Matt Kent has plotted this book in (laughs) all sorts of topsy-turvy, crazy, crazy ways. But I'm really excited because we've got Mark Lamming back on art. Uh, for those who don't know who he is, he did a absolutely stellar job on King's Watch, which was the Dynamite Classic Heroes crossover uh, that was written by Jeff Parker that we got a few years ago. Really, really enjoyed that. One of the most pleasant surprises. Uh, really, really enjoying this. Uh, Kent is actually digging deep, and he's digging up a p- basically playing on a plot thread that Justin Jordan laid all the way back in Shadow Man Zero four years ago so oh wow uh, yeah yeah this was laid down a long time ago and it has to do with Master Dark having a long forgotten sister that we I guess well as I just said forgot about um otherwise it goes to Divinity 3 number 4 yes I know that that sounds very confusing it's Mm -hmm. the third arc of Divinity it's the fourth issue of the third arc I wish they would have named this series differently. Um,
1: <laughs> when you see it, it makes more sense, because the three
2: is in Roman numerals. Exactly. Uh, but when you say it out loud, people are like, which issue is it, Nick? Uh, what's going on? Comics are confusing people.
1: Comics!
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this series has been amazing. Matt Kent, again, on writing. Trevor Hairsign on art. Uh, this alterna, scary, USS Cold War, you know... You know, alternate future uh, narrative has been really fascinating. Perhaps not the most approachable thing for new readers, but then again, that's why it's the third volume and you shouldn't be skipping the other two. Um, so those yeah. are my favorites, I suppose. Uh, what about you, Kara?
1: I have as my pick for this week, Serenity, No Power in the Verse, number six of six. Ooh. And I'm not going to lie to you, I have this as my pick because... I am trade waiting. So the fact that the last issue is coming out means that the trade is forthcoming <laughs> right, right. and I can actually read it. Um, Cause as I've mentioned before, I'm a Firefly fan and I recognize that the comics are pretty much the only extension of the story beyond fan fiction that I'm going to get. So mm-hmm. every time they come out with a new Serenity Firefly story, I'm like, so there um, I've a few friends who have been reading this storyline who say that it's fantastic so I'm really excited for them to wrap it up so that it can be a trade and I can read the whole thing in one setting
0: <laughs> could, do you know could you give us like a synopsis of what this series is about like what like lead up to the first issue or if you know it
1: um so the comics that they've been uh, coming out with since um, since the movie Serenity in the Late 2000s have been kind of a mix of sequels to that film and prequels to that where it's like still happening in the timeline of the show and there's some one shots and like character stuff they've really been kind of all over the place in terms of timing just so that they can kind of get out more stories that they were thinking of doing and No Power in the Verse is definitely in like the sequel category where you're seeing like what happens after the movie so it's like we it's like kind of following um, uh the previous sequel, which name escapes me right now. But you get to see more of Wash and Zoe's kid, so that is something that I'm totally here for.
2: Oh my heart! Stop. Yeah. Okay, that's all yeah. I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's really like, something that they're willing to put it in the post Serenity universe. That's a that's a pretty bold move. Hmm.
1: Yeah, when when that reveal kind of happened at the end of the, the previous story, I was like, Why would you do this? Also, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this whole franchise leaves me very emotional all the time. So anytime oh, they sure. make something new, I'm just kind of like, Yes, no, why? Yes. <laughs> every time. Every time.
0: Gotcha. Oh, for me this week, I'm I am I originally wrote down Black Number Six. Um, because I do like this series, um, I feel like I need to do a reread of it because I, I think there it, somehow I skipped an issue, so I think to say, talking about number six would be a disservice because I read five, and I felt like I just missed a story beat, so I got to go back and reread that. But I am also excited about Reborn number six. This is the Mark, Miller, uh, Mark Millar, Greg Capullo book that's been coming out. This is the last issue of the series. It's a double-sized issue, so it's six bucks, and really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really ready for this book to be over with. The last two issues have kind of just been slapping around, phoning it in, kind of work, and that's a super shame because I feel like Greg Capullo's art has only gotten better throughout this book. And meanwhile, the story has just become like this character, our main character that we're following around, um, a woman whose name is totally escaping me. Same Uh, here. No worries. (laughs) She basically like has just suddenly, like, she, she keeps asking questions, and she's been totally confused about this this weird after-death world that she's been in throughout the whole book. And mm-hmm. whenever the plot needs it, she, sh- she suddenly knows how to do everything. And that may be, like, the whole you're the savior of this world complex thing coming into play, or just terrible writing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, she's... It, it's, it's been this really weird. Very,
1: that's reminiscent of like the whole Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker thing, where it's like, you're the male protagonist, you have all of the special abilities you need at any moment, and then the second a woman has that same thing, you're like, well, well, writing, meh. So, I don't to be
2: know. fair, she hasn't lost any limbs yet, um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mean... There is a line to be drawn, uh, but I guess I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is But there's is one issue like left, and it's double sized. So I mean, there, yeah. Well, I guess what never. I'm getting
0: at is is that Mark Millar. It seems like this is how a lot of his miniseries have been going. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter who the protagonist is. By issues mm-hmm. three or four, um, usually it feels like he's phoning it in, and there's no. Like he he's just like trying to get to the final issue, so he's he rushes the plot along to like get to a final fight, and that's how they've all been building up. Or At least that's that's how I read it. Like I read uh,
2: Stardust kind of felt a little from what from what I read of it, it felt was it Stardust? Oh jeez, Stardust
0: Light? I don't remember. Uh,
2: I think I think yeah maybe. Mm.
0: And I felt like Empress was the same way. I also felt like it, the last two volumes or whatever of the kick-ass series were kind of like that, where the middle Mm -hmm. two or three issues were kind of just like, alright, we just gotta build this thing along until we can get to issues five and six and while issue five had a very nice turning point, um, I I don't know, this whole book has just been rubbing me the wrong way, but it's, uh, it's, I'm looking forward to the end because I'm sure that it's going to be badass and it's going to set up and resolve a bunch of the questions, because Mark Millar, he does do that, he usually ends his last issues like that, um, Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know. Can
2: I just say the whole narrative with the family cat is like tonally out of place for this book? And it's like a weird attempt at humor, but I think this book was a lot better when it was much more like what dreams may come, like theoretical afterlife stuff, like the first and second issue were. And now there's this weird attempt at humor about like the family cat trying to get back at her. And it's like, I don't know, man. This is kind of odd.
1: Was that like the only. Issue that was not in the same Tone
0: as the rest of it well there was That issue and then there was another issue with like Her best friend ends up
2: stabbing her in The back yeah for no reason I I don't know like it's typical Mark Miller where the humor elements Sometimes just really Don't jive Within the rest of the work
0: yeah Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I gotta
2: give him points He's nowhere as You know getting off on violence As he used to be so I guess Woo points for that but. yeah yeah <laughs> this isn't nemesis god um, oh geez don't ever say talk that. about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: so i'm looking forward to seeing how mark millar clears this book up um or clean finishes this book up and if it if if it maybe somehow wraps up maybe i'll give jupiter's legacy a, another chance and that may be out of left field but i've been like staunchly avoiding all of his other books because i just been just mad about nemesis and kick-ass and everything so anyways we'll we'll see i'll let you all know next week on the show Our show this week is all about our Goodreads Book of the Month for our Reading Club on Goodreads.com. If you are not part of the Goodreads group for I Read Comic Books, fix that. There is a link in the description slash show notes for this show. You should definitely join it and join the discussion. But our topic this week, as I said at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about Rat Queens Volume 1 by Curtis YB and Rock Up Church. What do you two think about this book? There's so many things to be said because a good fantasy book is just hard to come by these days, I think. So, for me, Rat Queens has been that good fantasy book that I needed, at least when it, when it first was published. So, I'll, I'll pitch it to you two. Kara, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on Rat oh my Queens God. Volume 1? Oh my
1: God, Rat Queens. Oh my God, Rat Queens. <laughs> Rat yes. Queens forever. Oh my God. So, um, when this book came out, it was revelatory for me, because it was one of the first times that I've seen women in media in general who like are just so normal like I'm so used to women in media and particularly in comics being like like especially superhero comics being a certain either she's tough and sexy and unapproachable or she's like quiet and sexy and unapproachable or she's like but like all these women always seem to like know what to say and have their lives together or if they don't they're going about like punching the problem but there's never really like a like a relatability to a lot of characters in mainstream comics Mm -hmm. and part of that's the superhero thing and part of it's just the way that they're written but rat queens like within the first two pages I was totally in love with it because The four main characters are all women. They're all different, but they're all friends. And they all have the foulest mouths in the land. And (laughs) like within after the first issue, I was like, oh, my God, literally, this is my sorority. If you gave us swords, like I'm so excited (laughs) to be reading this. These are people that I know, like bring it on. And so just like feeling like I like I know these women who are in this book, even though they're like, slaying ogres and like getting high off magical fumes at parties and stuff like that like they're a little more extreme but like the fact that they genuinely care about one another like don't like aren't trying to be perfect and are really open about um their personal lives and about and just like don't care and just say whatever they want just really appealing to me because it was just like ah, finally like characters that i recognize thank you
0: yeah absolutely these these feel like some of the most real people that you could you could actually know i mean there's there's so much of this book that i felt just like these are conversations that i may or may not have had with you know women that i know um Mm -hmm. and and on top of that it feels like real friendships are between the four of them like they they all fit their like they all play their different you know roles i guess or whatever in the group of friends um whereas you know like hannah's going to be rude and quick to anger and betty's going to want to love everyone also do drugs like the this seems like a thing that i like i knew these people in college at some point like i've been to the party where these four women were at and i like was in a circle of drinking cups with them, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's such a such a re- like a, a nice thing to see in a comic book. And then on top of that, there's the whole fantasy element. Like this also feels like a D and D game that I could play with people, and like these four characters are the four other people at the table with me. It's it's so awesome. Like just the the ridiculous like between action scenes and between you know plot driving scenes, we get these you know couple of pages here and there where it's just them hanging out and you know having breakfast, and I like that's to me, is some of the strongest character-building moments in the series. Like It's not the, the shocking end-of-issue twists. It's the, so, uh, you know, we had this big party last night. Who's making breakfast because I'm way too hungover and someone's mm-hmm. already up, even though they already feel like garbage? Like, that kind of stuff just resonates with me. It feels so realistic. And this is a fantasy book with people with, you know, horns on their heads and dwarven beards and things like that. <laughs> I love yeah. it.
1: No, I like there's this one moment that I really enjoyed in the first volume where it's like a one panel thing. But like D is giving Betty the smidgen like a piggyback ride through the market. And it's like that's just because they're friends and like that's what they do. And I was like, I've done that. I've been there. (laughs) Or like later at one of the many parties that they go to. D is sitting on a chair like reading a book like talking to herself being like you love parties you love being social you love all of this <laughs> while like relentlessly like avoiding eye contact with everyone and I was like I literally know you I am literally friends with five of you yeah <laughs> like right, sometimes right, right. I am you
2: <laughs> Nick what are your thoughts on this book man oh man Debbie Downer over here um <clears throat> so <laughs> I'll lay this out right from the get-go okay fantasy is not totally my cup of tea. I am open to things, but it's not like, hey Nick, here's seven different genres. Which one do you want to read? Fantasy will not get picked up first, okay? (sighs) And I'm not singling this book out with what I'm about to say. Mike will speak to this. It's too late. You've already singled it out. Yeah. I have an (laughs) issue with image books that are like, hey, we're basically the HBO of comic books so we can get away with whatever we want and we're going to go extreme to a point that it's borderline superfluous and maybe even ruins the impactful moments where it could be impactful and you know i've said this before mike sometimes people with image they just go overboard and it's like okay like i get it like, 18,000 swear words severing an arm where it's jagged bone fragments. Like, after the 18th time, I just don't feel it as strongly. And it's just the whole, like, just because you can doesn't mean you should, a la Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park, 93, blah, 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 whatever. Um, And sometimes I feel like this book is a little bit gratuitous.
1: I definitely see what you're saying, like, like the the jagged arm, severed arm
2: oh scene God. that you're talking yeah. about, like
1: that. I, when I first saw that, I was like, "Oh, oh, people actually get hurt here." And yeah. but then, like, I actually really w- one of my favorite like two panel moments is the one following that, where so so Hannah gets her arm basically like severed in two and you're like oh god this is the end and then this is like before you really know that d is like the the healer of the group so Mm -hmm. d comes over and heals hannah's arm and there's like a beat and then hannah's like d i would seriously give up sex for healing spells and it's just like (laughs) like yes like i would love to have healing spells that would be just super convenient all the time (laughs) like how do you possibly Do your job as, like, a questing band if you don't have someone who knows healing spells. And, like, I don't do tabletop gaming, but I know people who do. And I I feel like, like, if I were to do that, I would be the person who's, like, in the healing capacity. Because I'd always just want to be like, no, no, it's fine. You're not decapitated. I got you.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and that kind of speaks to the recklessness of, of some of the characters or some of the moments in this book, right? Where they know sure. that at the end they can maybe fall back and someone will heal them. And I think that's the the world that they built, they put themselves in. Uh, or Curtis Weiby, you know, he wrote in this book is that people are extreme and they do these extreme things knowing that there is a fallback cushion kind of and i think later in the series and maybe later in this volume we see where when that starts to um slip up and you're like oh no i did this crazy thing but i don't actually have a healer or i can't do anything about it or my healer can't do anything about it and they realize the consequences of their actions um and and there's some growing moments i think in in that but on the whole i think there that earlier in the series you start to see that recklessness um kind of softened when they have a healer there they have someone that can kind of fix the problem that they may or may not have created so i i i guess that's my justification for the you know absurd violence but this is also like a questing (laughs) realm where they you're like a it's a fantasy world where the you know one of the quests that these these women have to go on is kill a bunch of goblins you know and that's killing them you know and that's the world so you kind of have to um Immediately, like, numb yourself to the idea that uh, you know they're going to be doing some killing and stuff, but maybe that's not the focus of the book,
2: right. Right. And I mean, I think one of the things I do appreciate about the action sequences is that as morbid or as terrible or as hard to look at as the whole um, arm, hang, well, I guess technically wrist hanging by a thread is, um, I do like the fact that the characters actually do get, like, beat up and hurt. It's not the action sequence where there's 39 bodies strewn around you and for some weird reason, you know, no one ever hits you. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, Which would be something that I would maybe, uh, I don't know, I I think that that would be appreciated a bit more if it wasn't the awkward juxtaposition of being drawn by someone who allegedly possibly beat up people, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. So um, let's but.
1: let's do a, a quick recap of the plot for listeners who didn't get a chance to read and are interested in following along with our conversation.
0: Yeah, and um, full full spoilers for volume one. I feel like totally. you, I always of forget course. to do this in the good reads. <laughs> Halfway through, Oops, we're always like, by the way. <laughs> so,
1: uh, volume one, we meet the four members of the mat the the mat the Rat Queens, um, Hannah, D, Violet, and Betty, and they are. Not the most popular gals in town. You know, they get in a lot of drunken brawls. They end up messing up a lot of shops during their, like, midnight debauchery. (laughs) Hijinks. Hijinks is a good word. And then the plot really gets going when a bunch of the adventuring groups who are all in trouble in town get sent on various quests But not everyone returns because there's a group of assassins working to take out all of the questers. So the Rat Queens are trying to get to the bottom of this mystery while at the same time dealing with a troll ogre attack on the town who are coming Mm -hmm. after them because in one of the earlier issues, they killed like the head troll's boyfriend. So a lot going on.
0: Yeah, on top of them kind of dealing with their own personal, personal like relationships yeah. and issues that they have outside of their adventuring party, which adds a whole other layer of depth to this story, I think.
1: Are you talking about Betty's sort of Not really girlfriend fairy Because they're really cute
0: Well I mean that And I think Hannah And uh, issue what's, With her parents and Yeah yeah There's the issue What's her
2: face's is issue With her brother and Yeah you know. so D Violet is a, and her the brother and, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 Names I'm so good with them Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of What, it, what's <laughs> oh, his, what his
0: name is uh, Hannah and Sawyer uh, Sawyer thank you Thank you mm-hmm. And it, so there, I think There's a lot of Like it's This is one of those books I think that does A very good job Of balancing the um, You know the main Story core quote unquote, uh, you know, elements Mm -hmm. as well as the personal relationships between the characters and not getting too heavy handed with either um, to to allow you to have whatever type of book that you want. If you want a book about personal stories of people in a fantasy world, you've got that. If you want a book about questing and defeating all the bad guys and the ultimate greater evil, you've got that as well. And I think it's rare. It's like this is the reason why there are some books that I just I gave up on, you know, um, because they focused too much on one or the other when I wanted the opposite. So... Um, or wanted you're to coming make, off of
2: a Mark Miller bender and you need more violence, you've got that. <laughs>
0: well, no, I mean, and if we're talking, you know, like, and I, this is my my go-to example, and I told myself I'm going to reread this book now because I'm tired of being an asshole about it, but Black Science okay. is that book where there's too much character relation and not enough cool science stuff. So, yes. I realize I need, need to reread this Preach. book, but uh, <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. Like, this book doesn't do that. This book has a
2: very good even mix of those two types of um story elements and hold on mike i need to go reset the times we haven't talked shit talked rick Remender. (laughs) uh it it is signed back to zero right right we had a good run for one week
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you know the the other thing that this book does really well i think that i i really didn't realize i wanted out of a fantasy book is it it nails the comedy element more so than any any other comic that I think I'm reading that isn't supposed to be a comedy, you know. I think mm, this book is supposed okay. to be like a fantasy action adventure, but there is a ton of comedic element that a- that adds to all of the characters. Specifically, Hannah just gets to be rude, and it's hilarious. And there's this constant joke of Gary in the city who just keeps screwing everything Shut up. up. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: like,
0: uh, it's it's wonderful and i mean and this this plays out through the rest of the series too like the, the fucking gary thing just is the one Man. of the funniest things <laughs> in i, this I whole like book.
1: i think betty's the funny one i like the part where she's like they're they're sent on their quest that turns out to be like the assassins waiting for them mm-hmm. and they're like betty go ahead into the cave to see if there are any traps and she goes in a little bit and it's starting to get darker and she's just suddenly like No traps, just a random person's like pair of boots. Oh yeah. And then she's, like
2: like, (laughs) some boots.
1: So casual about it. And then just I started laughing as she like backs out of the cave and then the the girls are just like, Well, this isn't suspicious at all. (laughs) Guess someone's trying to kill us. Okay. Like that's gonna work out well for them. Whatever. Get your sword out. It's yeah. just like the casuality of it. It's just like, yeah, of course, this is your day-to-day life. This is like whatever to you. Just get your axe. You're ready to go.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think the fact that it nails humor so well, like I can't state enough how fricking tough it is to actually do humor in a comic book. It is so much easier said than done. Uh, and I think this book manages it relatively well. I do think there's a kind of a threshold for me in terms of, how much meta can you get before I feel you've I'm all meted out I suppose uh and I think this book does hit that point eventually maybe around issue three or four for me but
1: do you have like a certain scene or moment that really made you feel that way
2: gosh I'm trying to think about that. Well, Nick, I know. here, how about you? Yeah. You look it up because
0: I think that yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. can speak a little bit to that. I think there is. Uh, I, I didn't really. I never really felt that way, but I think that's because I'm. I have a higher threshold for that stuff. I've I've been playing you know tabletop games and D and D in specific for almost ten years now. And so I'm at this point where anything that really takes that and runs with it and does a really solid job of telling a fantasy story, I can really, really eat up. And so, like, I think that a lot of what made this book work really well for me was that I had all this inherent knowledge of how a D&D quest goes and how all these fantasy elements end up being really, really tropey. And not that that's bad, because I think like the, you know, the, epi- the epic, there's an evil wizard up in the mountain and we have to go take them down. You know, that's a wonderful storyline to play with. And, uh, you know, this this big ultimate evil, there's a giant god in another universe that's going to destroy everything that we know and love. You know, I think that, that stuff is really fun because it's, you, you understand what the inevitable outcome is. You know that the heroes are going to save the day you know that there's gonna be some kind of loss, there's, you know, all these things. And so when you play with that trope and then you twist on it a little bit um, and you add some of your own custom elements and we've gotten to know these characters so much in the story, it makes those that storyline feel more real even though you know how it's going to play out. You care more about how the characters are going to react within that, and that's what makes the story interesting. So while there was sure a lot of meta and there's a lot of like, hey, you need to know, you know, if you don't, if you don't know all these fantasy elements, maybe this isn't as funny to you. But for someone like me, who has been in this stuff for a really long time, I like, it, I ate it up like it was a bag of candy. It was so much fun for me. And I, and that's not to say that you need to be a, you know, experienced D&D player or whatever, play D&D for 10 years to get this book, but I think right. that if you are, it just adds extra flavor to the book on, on a book that's already full of fun and action and adventure and all this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't play d and I've I've watched people play d and a couple times. Sure. It's just something that's never been super interesting for me, but I didn't feel like not Playing D D re- diminished my enjoyment of the book at all, but I can Absolutely. see your point where like there might be a few little like nods to things that you might be used to in the rhythm of the game.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's what like so when when Nick's t- you know talking about there being a lot of meta, I think that's what it is. Like the even the characters commenting on, well, this is just a stupid side quest. You know, things like that just make or me laugh. Or the part
2: where they're like, you know, and, and so, so-and-so went and sang the whatever, you know, song, but we're not going to interject it here or whatever. When they have the, I think they there's a caption panel where it's like, and so Betty sang the song of whatever, but we're not going to throw that in here. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think this isn't to this book's fault, but sometimes when you've just experienced some of the same riffing in other books... Um, you know, even if, even if Rat Queens did it first, you know, it, it just means that you didn't encounter it there first. And so having read all of Skull Kickers, I think you can see why I've probably seen some of this done in, in different ways, but done before. Sure. Sure. Not to be like I've seen everything and done everything, obviously. <laughs> and it's too late. I already did. I'm sure everyone's thinking that now, but it's too late. They say you get seven seconds before someone makes up their mind about you. So uh, we're there. It's too late. Um, if you liked this book a lot, I would definitely recommend Skull Kickers by Jim Zub, art by I can't remember. Um, also with Image. Yep. I think. Yeah. Yes. There, and there's about seven volumes of that. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and i think i like that better oh man um, Them's fighting yeah, words sorry. i think sorry sorry
1: i had a question about the characters i was curious if you guys had a favorite character or a hated character while reading this hmm. volume
2: hmm. Oh, now i have to remember names oh boy see um. you can
1: you can describe them and i will
2: tell you the <laughs> name <laughs> okay thank god i got so. you Um,
0: i really like violet i think violet is the character that like hits home for me for some reason um she she i I, I don't know i like i like dwarves with swords i think but also (laughs) she she has this she has this really interesting personality where she knows what she wants and she's not afraid to go get it but she's a little bit hesitant about everything that she does um for instance her her whole relationship with Orc Dave never really plays out until she's had a good drink in her and she's become a little bit more social and then later in the book, you see that she's kind of grown in confidence and she's not afraid to just like straight up approach someone and be very brash and I think that that's that's really interesting because later when you find out more about her character, you find out that she's she is very bold um so like in the earlier issues of this book, I felt like she was a little bit she was a little more nervous a little bit like I said more hesitant about things um and I don't know, for some reason that just resonated with Plus, she likes to kick a lot of ass, and that's always cool. And it's not all spells. She's just like brute force in base <laughs> Yeah,
1: Yeah, this is actually like the fifth or sixth time that I've reread this particular volume. And this time on the reread, I noticed that um, Violet, I think, is actually the leader of the Rat Queens. Like, Hannah's the obvious, like leader out front says she's the leader and all that but when you go back and reread it like violet is actually the one who is like amping everyone up giving the commands like saying the war cry i feel like she's Mm -hmm. kind of the almost the glue that's holding everyone together whether she knows it or not
2: Oh, really? it seems more like the mouthpiece of the group, sort of the like vocal representative, I guess. So I I, I can see that. Yeah, I, I will say, Kate, uh, not
0: Kate from the show, but another Kate in the Goodreads group says, "Betty has inspired more than one D and D character for me over the last few years," and I can <laughs> totally understand that. <laughs>
2: Well, I do really like Betty in the sense that, and I think this is true of quite a few of the characters in this book. Um, they do start out very D and D like you know, just sort she, of she's the uh, rogue and she's
0: the sorcerer. Paint by number, sure, yeah,
2: very paint by number and in, and in, in sort of um, abilities and 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 character traits, but. Um, then they kind of very slowly flesh them out a little bit more, give a little bit more of a dimension, and I like that, especially like with Betty, because it seems like she's very. Um, has her uh, head in the clouds 90% of the time and sure. not very aware of uh, just, um, I guess, her surroundings, period, I guess, would be a good way to start. Uh, but then you find out that she just goes full-on Batman, and I love that panel sequence where she's like, oh, I noticed that there was the the seawater on the scrolls, and so he must have been at sea for, you know, this long. and it's, <laughs> yeah. this, this, it's basically criminal profiling of the merchant, and the way the panels are laid out where it sort of zooms in on different parts of the room and then you have these more oval side panels with portraits of her mm-hmm. um sort of like her 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 facial reaction to these different elements of the room as she's like diagramming it like i really loved that element and i think it made me appreciate the character uh so much more uh, and i think that that is that is one of the more well done parts of this book Uh, is that it does become hard to sort of single out a character and go, well, I don't really like that character, or this character seems fairly two-dimensional compared to the others. There's a real, real balance here Mm -hmm. where everyone sort of feels on the same level in terms of complexity, uh, in terms of likability, in terms of personal uh, issues, um, you know, juggling different ones. And I think that that's so hard to do because, I mean, authors play favorites just as much as as, as we do as readers. Sure. What about you, Kara?
1: I have two favorites, and it's for two entirely different reasons. Um, I really like D because she, like, if I'm being honest with myself, reminds me the most of myself. Like, she's, she's introverted, and she's not, like, the center of attention, and she'd much prefer to either, like, be by herself or, like, with her friends, but she's incredibly loyal to her friends, and like, she's not afraid to start over if she needs to. Um, But I really like Hannah, because I think Hannah is all of the things that I wish I could be, like, without having to try. Because she's very, like, she has a lot of anger, and she expresses that through just, like, not caring about what anyone around her like says or thinks she just kind of runs her mouth and gets in trouble but she's also like really upfront about like who she is and what she wants and like she you see like in the later story arcs that she actually has some like personal demons and like a lot of vulnerability and sometimes her brashness is like just an act but it's not always an act like she just is outgoing and in your face and like that's something that I wish I could do so she's a character that appeals to me because she's so different from who I am as a person
0: gotcha well you know we should we should also talk a little bit about the art in this book I think and then we can lead into some roundup discussions Mm. about this whole series um, and maybe some of the controversy around it but um, how did you both feel about the the art in this book I think I remember when I first read the f- this the first time, I thought this book had the most pristine art I'd ever seen in my entire life. Um, and going back and rereading it, I realized that it wasn't as neat and clean as I thought, but that's okay mm. because a lot of the times where things are chaotic, it was for a good reason. Like in action sequences or in, you know, like I guess in more fast-paced panels, um, we saw a lot more sketchiness. But um, I'll toss it Mike, to you. I, yeah.
2: I, I need Alex Ross art in every panel. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it isn't that level of detail, it's just like go home. We're done. Like, well, this I'm art just kidding. Is,
1: this <laughs> art is very animated and expressive. Like, Even if the characters mm. are just sitting around a table, you know what they're feeling, you know what they're doing. There's no static panels in this entire book.
0: Yeah. The, you know, there was someone, uh, Ryan, on. Uh, in, on the Goodreads group said, Upchurch has a knack for giving each character in the panel business. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. feels as though they're doing something and not just standing idly by, even in the background. Facial expressions are full of life and add to the overall tone of the story. And I think that is exactly what you were getting at, Kara. Like, even in the background, even if they're just sitting there, people still feel like people. They're not just background.
1: hmm And the colors are really rich, too. Like, it just feels like this... This lush exciting fantasy world like nothing's too uh, muted I feel like a lot of um, comics go for like the kind of more grayscale stuff that you've been seeing in, in films the last 10 years or so mm-hmm. but this comic is full of color without necessarily being like neon
2: yeah, yeah. and I think a lot of that boils down to really strong uh, distinctive character design um, you know each each character seems to have their own color so to speak um, and, you know, it really pops on the page And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's not the most detailed visual style out there Obviously, not that that's indicative of, of being good or bad either But I think it lends itself to expressiveness And it lends itself to action pretty well in the action sequences, I really like that it's very clear and easy to discern who is doing what, what sort of is meant to be the focus of the panel and, and the focus of the action. Um, because for a book with so much fighting, like you've got to get that nailed down. Otherwise, it turns into a Transformers movie where it's like, who is the good guy? Who is the bad guy? Right. Where is Shia LaBeouf? Um, which should be at the forefront of everyone's mind at any given point. Yeah, so.
0: in any action scene. Uh, one thing I really liked is the... I mean this isn't necessarily directly the interior art but those covers that they did in the first couple of issues where it was like the beat up poses um yes. or yeah. like the I, like almost like oh, what like mugshots in a way but oh my goodness yeah what that's cool a good way of covers.
2: describing it yeah
0: i remember uh, i think the C2E2 that right after this book came out there were so many people um, Getting commissions from Rock Up Church for, like, those different poses, but with different characters. So, just essentially oh. getting a beat-up version of a character they wanted. Or, in the case of a friend of mine, a beat-up version of herself in a, like, fantasy cosplay, which was really, really cool. Yeah, th- th- this book has does have some very stellar covers, especially the earlier issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Very dynamic. Like, you mm-hmm. know what you're... Like... You know they say don't judge a book by its cover, but for comics, yeah, most people do that. So <laughs> yeah, your yeah. your comic cover really has to tell people what your story's about, and you write right. The covers for this series tell you right away like you're in for some action, and it's starring a bunch of ladies, and mm-hmm. it's definitely fantasy.
0: <laughs> yeah, on, the, on that note, with the covers, the 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 one thing I really also liked about them was the the Rat Queens logo is so definitive. Mm-hmm. I've I've loved it since issue 1. It's it's just like it's like a perfect stamp on the front of every cover and it it never feels like a title. It actually feels like a stamp put on the Im- or on the actual cover itself.
2: I always appreciated that.
1: And I love the little rat rat heart logo. Yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a heart with Graphic a... design matters, people. Totally. You know?
1: Yeah, when when this book came out, I was like totally obsessed and they actually had like a pretty good uh, merch curation on their mm-hmm. merch website and so I've got like a shirt with like the Rat Queens logo inside of a D10 and <laughs> like I got like the tank top with like the heart logo it's just like oh it's so good and it's like it just looks like a cool shirt but then if someone reads the book they're like oh my god let's be best friends exactly exactly which is what you always want in your nerdy apparel you want to say like look look how good I look today also see this code see this code we can we can (laughs) hang out yeah Uh,
0: yeah so I guess the the one other thing we probably want to cover today is uh, some of the controversy around this book which is like a really unfortunate thing you know when when books have this outside of the comic book controversy that's not even related to the content of the book but in particular Mm -hmm. with this book um, there were I think around issue 6 or 7 maybe 8 of the series, Um, there was a bunch of news that was broken by a handful of websites, uh, including Bleeding Cool and um, the Outhousers and the Mary Sue um, about some accusations uh, of Rock Upchurch, the artist, on this book in that there was some domestic violence that happened between him and his wife, um, particularly on his part. Like, he was, he is accused of, um, I I don't know, like, beating up his wife? I don't know if that's... The the
1: details are not... Yeah, Super clear, but it was clear that it was a bad situation and it was generating enough negative press that uh, Upchurch went off the book and he was replaced with uh, Stepan Sejic for a while and then Tess Fowler. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when, when that all happened, it was really, really crushing... Um, for for me because of course like you hope that the family's okay and that whatever actually happened that like the wife and kids are fine and that um, he's getting any help that he might need Um, but as like a fan of the book this was really conflicting for me because I I love the story I love the characters they mean so much to me but it's like, do I want to be spending money knowing that the money that I spend on this merchandise and these books, like fifty percent of the profits are going to go to Rock Up Church because that's what it says in the contract, because this is a creator owned work. And then it's like, you know, do I really want to be knowingly supporting a creator who I don't really feel comfortable with right now? Even if I love the story. So that yeah. has been like a enormous struggle for me. Um, so I was really relieved when they brought on different artists because I felt like they are really going to keep the story going. But also I'm like, I know some of this money is getting back to UpChurch and I don't feel comfortable with that. But it's like there's so few stories that have women represented as actual human beings that it's like, for that reason, I want to support it. And I just, right? I, I have a lot of feelings on this topic.
0: Yeah, and understandably so. I think that that's been the most it's, it's been the saddest part about this whole series is how great of a book it is um, for all the reasons you listed, as well as just being a solid comic book. And you know, in general, like this is this is one of those books that has such consistent characters and such a like a strong enough story that it's it's one of those books that you cannot put down and you don't want to stop reading. and It's one that I would I would say I would probably have read you know through issue 60 had it gone you know all the way to that end. Um, but it's 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 a it's a hard thing to. To break in your mind how do you disconnect you know the creator from their actual work and then to your point like how do you how do you deal with willingly paying someone you know for for a book like this when you know they could be contributing to them and they may or may not be quote unquote you know like a good person um or or whatever i don't know. it's it's a it's a yeah. hard thing to draw i remember when this all happened i was following the news you know in as it was coming out, you know, following people yeah. on Twitter and following Twitter lists and stuff just to like make sure I got is it, I was inf- as informed as possible about this.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I, like I said, this, this book just is so important to me, but I haven't really been interested in picking up the second volume that recently started. They're on issue three now, I think really. And it's, um, and it's, like a combination of what we just discussed and also um, so the last artist on um, on the first run of Rat Queens was Tess Fowler and she suddenly was off the book and then like the book was being canceled and she took to Twitter and was talking about her negative experience like working on the book and feeling like she got forced out and I don't know how much of it was true but just like the like that level of like negative experience on top of the news that had already broken about Upchurch made me be like i i can't do this right now like i there's not enough information i don't feel comfortable with this this mm-hmm. story is important but if creators are getting screwed over or if creators are like not upstanding citizens like i, I don't know how i feel about this
2: yeah Calling this interesting doesn't do a service to how unfortunate of a situation this is, but I do find it interesting that this kind of shows another side of how creator-owned works operate, and kind of the flip side of the coin, which is that you end up having to support these people even if they're no longer on the book, and kind of the complicated web that that weaves um, because of that. Uh, and yeah it's it's tricky especially with with you know with comics as opposed to saying you know maybe you don't like a novelist so you don't buy their next book but with something that's serialized and with something that's collaborative you have to decide you know if a new artist comes on the book but like like Kara said the other guy's getting paid how do you handle that or if you feel that the writer you know shouldn't be punished or what the artist did, you know, do you go find other works of his or, or hers to support? Or do you stick around just for that person because you feel that you know, at least if the narrative is theirs and you feel that you appreciate the narrative and and, and that element of it, how do you uh, how do you reconcile that? It's uh I mean this is this is the other side of creator owned comics and some of the more weird and bizarre uh, elements of it that maybe we haven't had to tackle in the past I guess
1: yeah I mean especially you know now with social media there's so much transparency and whereas before creators might have been really inaccessible they're now able to share exactly what they feel at any given moment so but then it's like what Mike was saying about like trying to keep on top of the news it's like you want to make sure you know what's going on but you know that you have to like be aware of is this like a he said she said thing are there like corroboration on what's going on or like what kind of sources are there and yeah, like that's right. that's true following anything in the news not just comics but comics it's like a little more difficult because there are so few comics journalism outlets who are like able to devote resources to that kind of thing
2: right yeah, that was the right. It's not like movies where you got TMZ running around chasing after people to <laughs> exactly. quote unquote get the r- the real story. <laughs> you mean you mean bleeding cool? No. Um, oh, I, I'm ju- just kidding. I'm just. Xander Airhorns, right there, yeah. right there. Uh, no, it, <laughs> that
0: was one of the weirder parts about this. Um, is the I think that there was like there was a missing piece of corroboration for the stuff that happened with Tess Fowler, and as well as the like, cause the 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 thing is, we never heard we never heard anything from Curtis Yb. Um, yep, and I mean we we sort of did. He I know he posted a blog post mm. about something, but he didn't he didn't confirm or deny anything. He mostly just said he was upset to hear. Um and so th- I, I think that confirms a lot of the stuff with Um, with Rock Up Church but with Tess Fowler I don't know if we heard anything about about that or if we did I couldn't find anything because I was I was I reread this entire series um, and by the when I got to the end I was like okay I need to see if there was any any follow-up to any of this and as far as I could tell there wasn't much Um, so when the new Rat Queens came out, I remember a lot of people, you know, there were articles about it a new Rat Queens is coming out. Um, please remember that this also happened and I didn't know if that was a boycott of the book or if it was just saying, Hey, just make sure you're informed when you're going to go read this book or what, but it's, it kind of put a weird spot or like put my stomach in a weird place because I didn't know how to feel about it. And I did end up reading the new number one and I have a whole other set of thoughts about that, that I won't go into here because we don't have enough time in the day. But still, there's a, it's it's a weird situation to be in. So it's, it's something to just be aware of as you're reading this book. And I think that more and more people are. Like, I know in the Goodreads group, this was brought up among a few commenters. So it's just something to keep in the back of your head, I guess. Yeah.
1: But, you know, it's like an awkward thing to talk about, but it's an important kind of conversation to have. Like, just because you love something doesn't mean you can't also be critical of it or be aware of like if there's any problems with it or with the people making it. So it's just like, it's better to talk about these things than to just kind of pretend that a work exists totally independently from the people creating it.
0: Thanks for listening to the I read comic books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Nick White and Kara Shamborsky. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy this show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. If you really, really love us, you'll go to iTunes and rate us five stars and tell us why you love us, or don't tell us why you love us. Just give us five stars, that's all we ask, because we love you, and you love us. It's a circular thing. You can email us at ircb at and if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature on the show, such as this week, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book we're reading to be read on the show, make sure you join our group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode of our show at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast for updates and ridiculous retweets. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Now until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening.